Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Don Callahan and Buck Sanders talking UNC football recruiting. Guys, hope that you are enjoying some of this nice weather that we are having in, in the triangle right now. Although, Don, I understand that you are out of town for this one. So how's the weather where you are at? Well, I am actually right now in Chesapeake, Virginia, which is located in what we like to call the Tidewater area of uh, Virginia. And I'm here to spend some time with uh, some of North Carolina's uh, targets that, that are in this area. It's actually been a, a couple of years since since I had, I've had to uh, venture up here. And, and now I'm actually going to spend an entire day visiting four high schools, including North Carolina's newest verbal commitment, Lamarian James, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on in the podcast. But um, yeah, up, there's other guys that I'm going to be seeing also. I'm going to get plenty of content from from this uh, this visit with, you know, uh, Keontae uh, Jenkins and Keandre um, Lambert. Um, another guy that we haven't talked about too much because he hasn't visited yet, Andre Powell is, um, or Antoine Powell, I'm sorry, is another guy I'm going to see who's is a guy that's very high on UNC's radar also. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, this is all stuff that throughout next week you'll be um, be able to read, you know, updates on, on those guys who are major targets in North Carolina and, and all of them except for, Except for Powell has actually visited North Carolina. How's um now Buck is actually in his second home of world there, Buck. Oh, it's nice down here and even gonna be nicer tomorrow. I may go out and swing a golf club or something along those lines. Uh but glad to see that somebody is working hard for Inside Carolina. You go, Don. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, I mean, Inside Carolina's got him posted up at the Ritz up there, right, Buck? I am definitely not at the Ritz. If I could, if this was uh, some sort of video cast, you guys would see. Not a bad hotel, but definitely not the Ritz. I have a, like they gave me like the smallest desk that I'm working at, which is just not making this easy. Like I bump into stuff, my laptop almost falls off the, the desk. You know, I, I think I'm probably safe to talk about this, but uh oh, you know, Don when he goes on the road. He thinks about the inside Carolina struggle and how we have to pinch <laughs> pennies and, you know, he eats at McDonald's and, you know, he's just very economical in contrast I, to our photographer, Jim oh, Hawkins. Man. Oh, here we go. Oh uh, man. Who, who lights up the universe when he travels and, uh, he, uh, likes to stay in nice places and he likes to eat in fancy places. And uh, he, he actually helped create several of the rules that we have <laughs> for that reimbursement uh, for the road. So, uh, but Don, is uh, he, he gets a pat on the back for looking out for our greater interest when he's traveling. Well, I want to make sure I'm able to get all of my my travel proposals approved. And I have a pretty good track record. I think I'm batting a, a thousand right now. And I have actually a... Another big time visit, which I'm not going to talk about right now, but I'm sure we'll get into it um, coming up in a couple of weeks. But yeah, I want to keep those things going so that we have plenty of content for the Inside Carolina subscribers. See, what you got to do, Don, is you've got to somehow figure out a way to convince North Carolina to recruit a kid like from France or Spain or somewhere in Europe or maybe, you know, some nice um, Southeast Asian island, especially during the doles of winter where, uh, 
you know, you can fly out there and, uh, and do a full on cover story. He doesn't want to lose his hundred percent batting average on getting travel approved. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Although if you've followed recruiting the past couple of years, the, the European scene has definitely increased when it comes to producing uh, recruits. Don't even um, try it, Don. Don't even try <laughs> it. Don't even go there. So we got to get into our top five, right? Yeah, let's go ahead and, and jump into that one. This was the top five ranking the home games for next season based upon what we and our listeners think they are for recruiting purposes. So how was the response from the listeners for this go around, Don? Well, we only got three, and that sounds bad, but um, we our last podcast ran, it wasn't a full week, was it? Um, no, I don't think so. So I think that contributed to it. Um, so we have three, and I'll just I'll just ramble it off real quickly. And, and for those who don't know North Carolina's home schedule, let me give that first. Um, the first home game is against Miami in September, then Appalachian State later on that month, uh, and then the following week, Clemson, and then you go to Duke. Uh, well, and Duke comes to North Carolina, makes the short trip to North Carolina in late October, and November you have um, Mercer. So, first off for us is let me let me go. Uh, uh, Jonathan Fay, who we has been not only does he send in submissions every single week since we've been doing this, he actually sent it like immediately after the podcast ran. He must have some sort of system where he's able to listen to it immediately. So, so uh, props to him on that. But his top five in order are Clemson, Miami, Duke, UVA, and App State. And John, of course, is is, a, is actually a coach in, I think, outside of Charleston or inside Charleston, South Carolina. Not too far where Buck's at right now. And then we have uh, Philip from Stedman. His top five in order. Miami, Virginia, Duke, Clemson, and App State. And then last but not least, we have Dale from Waxhaw, another one who's a regular contributor. His top five, Miami, Clemson, App State, Duke, and UVA. Does anyone have any thoughts on some of the submissions? Anything stand out to you guys? I like the last one best, but um, other than that, nothing really jumps out at me. I think what was interesting to me was just the fact that there's a lot of variety in those. I mean, I think last year, Don, we we had more than three submissions, but if memory serves, there was a lot of overlap between what people had, especially as like their top, one or two and I think that was due to the fact that NC State was a home game last season but still I feel that there was a lot more variety between these three than what we got last year yeah no absolutely so we want to get to ours who wants to go first we'll go ahead and let you go first man since you're the the on location guy enjoying the vacation for inside Carolina on their dime up there in Chesapeake all right well my my number five has not been mentioned in any of those those um i think everyone left them off and i think it, it i explain it better if i explain the t- the game that i left off my number five was mercer and the reason why is that app state is a very very good program a group of five program that has made a habit of if not outright scaring teams actually beating teams that it probably shouldn't beat and i don't know if that's a team that you want to to um invite a lot of recruits to, and then have App State pull an upset. Whereas a lot of these other games, if you lose to Clemson, Miami, Virginia, or Duke, 
it's either a rival or it's a really good program or whatever it may be. And you can explain, you can explain it off, but with app state, that's just not a program that I want um, to invite a lot of recruits to let's bring them to Mercer game and then just beat the snot out of them. And uh, at least they got to get to see North Carolina win. Anyone else have Mercer on their list at all? I did not, but Buck, what was your number five? Well, you know, actually uh, I was torn and, and I think it's, uh, it's appropriate to add a caveat because so much goes into the atmosphere of the game. And we could see this list change depending upon, is this a night game? Is it a three o'clock game? Is it a noon game? Factors like that, I think, play much bigger role than um, perhaps people might assume just looking at you know, these naked lists. But uh, the, the team that I have dead last, and, and it was kind of a toss-up, is, is the Virginia game. And the reason I have Virginia left last is that they're, they're not really, you know, I think they'll have a good team this year, a decent team, a team certainly capable of winning in Cannon Stadium. But there's, there's just not, there used to be a real heated rivalry sort of there. And it's the, the South's oldest rivalry. You hear people say that all the time. But it, it's just not as fierce as it used to be. And I think that's due to Virginia Tech coming into conference. And so, you know, I, I think Virginia, I would put them dead last. That's, I, 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 I've been to a bunch of Virginia games, and there hasn't been any in recent memory that's stuck out to me as you know, a memorable game. So I, I put Virginia last. So I went with App State for my number five. And, you know, Don, I think that you made a pretty compelling case as to why App State maybe should not be in the top five. But for me, I went, like Buck said, off of atmosphere. And with App State, I think that that will be a game that has a lively crowd. I think there will be a lot of Mountaineer fans in Keenan Stadium. But at the same time, I expect that the Tar Heel faithful will show out for this game as well. And even though there is the risk of you know App State pulling an upset, we've certainly seen them do that in the past. I mean, to be frank, if Matt Brown is going to be successful in his first season, that's a game that the Tar Heels have to win. So I think that it will be a fun one. I think playing them will get the, the fan bases involved. That's why I had them at number five. And I'll go ahead and just jump right into my number four, if that's okay with you guys. Because at number four, I had UVA. That buck just had it at number five. And I didn't really have too much of a gap, honestly, between UVA and App State. I think you hit the nail on the head, Buck, where this rivalry has really lost a lot of its teeth in recent years. Probably just because both teams have kind of had their up and downs. But, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't really get as excited for the UVA game as I used to. I think with this year, it will be interesting for recruiting purposes because the Tar Heels are trying to hit uh, the Virginia State so hard that they might be able to get some guys down there that have both teams on their lists. Um, And that's ultimately why I put UVA at number four. Don, what about you, man? Where'd you have the Cavaliers if you had them on your list at all? I also had them number four. 
which continues our streak of always having at least one selection the same. And uh, very similar to what Buck and John said about it, um, you know, Virginia has been steadily improving under Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, wouldn't surprise me to see them come in and uh, win. And if they if that happens, um, there's a very good chance it might be a boring game, which, you know, the only thing I guess worse – yeah, I think that you can lose and it be okay because if it's a if it's an, a competitive game, an exciting game, but the worst possible outcome, in my opinion, other than maybe a, a complete upset, like like what App State could potentially uh, deliver, is uh, just a boring loss, and and that's what I think Virginia has the potential to do. Who wants to start off with their number three? Well, I haven't given you my number four, so. Oh, that's uh, my fault. I'm so sorry, Buck. No, no more uh, premature <laughs> pickulation going I'm on. I'm sorry. There. <laughs> I am eager to hear your number four for sure. Well, <clears throat> um, we could quickly pass over that, and and I'll go with my number three pick. But I, I would put um, actually, and again, you know, I'm I'm torn about some of these at the bottom. Um, I think there might be more consensus at the top, but you know, I I, I would put. Um, actually I would put Duke there. Um, now I, I, I get that, uh, you know, there's a lot of history between UNC and Duke. And if we were talking about basketball tickets might go more than face in those kinds of things. But, um, Duke, uh, if, if they're not having a good year, um, if they're having a good year, they'll they'll bring not very many fans. If they're not having a good year, they're not going to bring anybody. And you know the fact that the there's not going to be I don't believe uh, a tremendous you know and, and I'm just going off of my idea of what makes a great recruiting uh, home game, and that's to have an exciting game, competitive game. Um, you know, a, a game which North Carolina will probably win and a great atmosphere. And if Duke's not having a good year, if, uh, and this game comes in late October, uh, if depends on how North Carolina's season's going to go, I, I'm not necessarily seeing that as a huge home game for, for North Carolina for recruiting purposes. And a lot of these teams, are probably going to have recruits at the game are probably going to be considering, you know, uh, schools other than Duke. So, you know, if, if you're, um, if North Carolina have Virginia tech, for example, on the schedule home schedule, which they don't, but if they did, there would probably be some recruits there that are considering both UNC and Virginia tech Duke, probably not so much. So, in terms of depending on how you define what's a great recruiting weekend, I'd actually put Blue Devils in fourth place. And third, App State. And and the reason why I say that is it, there are a lot of Appalachian State fans in the Triangle area. Uh, and a lot of, you know, you, we talk about traveling fans, well, a lot of App State's fan base is going to have less of a trip because they're going to be leaving from their, you know, house in some suburb in Raleigh or Durham 
to go to the game. And I think there will be a well-attended game, should be exciting a game, two first-year coaches, the head coach um, for Appalachian State has no love for UNC, Eli Drinkwitz, or is, is, I'm saying, is it Eli or Elijah, whatever his name is. And, you know, I, I think that game will be highly anticipated. I don't think App State's ever played at UNC before. I'd have to go back and double check that, but I'm I'm sort of confident that's true. Um, but again, you know, it, a lot of these things might depend on other factors, but I think that will be a very well attended game and an exciting game. And you know, if if North Carolina wins, great. If it's a close loss, that's horrible. If it's a bad loss, that's even more horrible. But I see Appalachian State having the potential to being the third place best recruiting weekend uh, there at Keenan Stadium. I was going to say, would you be worried at all about that upset, Buck? Like if you were Mac Brown, would you have a little bit of trepidation just in case you ran the risk of having that terrible loss should you lose to App State? Well, you know, I, I think it would depend upon uh, the kind of loss it was. You know, there are losses and there are losses. And there have been recruits that have, that have attended home games at UNC and have seen uh, some losses that were not so bad. Take the Virginia Tech game last year. I mean, that that's a game North Carolina should have won, well attended, uh, very exciting. A night game? Know, night game, all those things going for it. So I would have said, you know, Virginia Tech was probably one of their better home games last year for recruiting purposes. So, you know, it depends on a lot of different factors, but uh, I, I'm going to go with App State there at um, at number three. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and give my number three. And at that spot, I had the Duke Blue Devils, and they kind of fell into their – by default because my top two and and I feel like most people's top two are pretty consistent but with Duke I put them at number three because to me I think they're going to be the most difficult and the quote-unquote I guess most premier in-state program that the Tar Heels face next year and it it could very well be that App State ends up having a better record but I think with Duke there is still the aspect of the rivalry there um, I mean, everyone likes to to beat Duke, and unfortunately, that was something Larry Fedora was not able to do. And so I think fans will be much, much, much more excited about this game under Mac Brown to see that hopefully he can correct the losing streak that UNC has against the Blue Devils. But, you know, Buck, when you were talking about Duke earlier, I think you made a, a very, very solid point where you said that the level of recruits that even if you bring kids to that game, there may not be a whole lot of overlap between guys that are considering both Duke and UNC for this upcoming class. And I think that speaks to the higher level of player that Mac Brown is targeting and has so far been successful to bring into Chapel Hill. So I think that plays into it as well. That's why I have Duke at number three. Uh, but Don, who'd you have in your number three spot on your list? Well, just for, I guess, simplicity purposes, and, and I, I guess helps kind of 
work off of each other. Uh, I'm going to give my number three and my number two. Plus, I think I'm the last person to give my number three anyway. Uh, my number three actually was Miami, and my number two was Duke. I feel very similar to what Buck was saying. Um, you know, as far as the, you're not going to get a whole lot of uh, fans from either one of these programs, even though Duke is not that far away. And, um, you know, Miami obviously is really far away. Um, but uh, I guess for me, the difference between Miami and Duke is that with Duke, it just, one is for the victory bell, which which is does give a little bit to it. And then also, underneath Cutcliffe, Duke, I feel like, has passed North Carolina by a little bit. They've won the last three games, which, you know, kind of speaks to that a little bit. Ooh, and I think it would... Fired. Shots <laughs> fired by Don Callahan. Well, let me let me finish my thought, and then, then we can, you know, before you start shooting shots back. My thinking is, is that this will give Mac Brown an opportunity to, you know, to, I guess, basically kind of plant his flag and, and let it be known that losing to Duke is not going to happen anymore. And uh, what better way to do that in front of a bunch of, of recruits to kind of, um, I guess, show that off. So that's why they're my number two with Miami, you know, um, you know, that they just always, it's always an attractive game for recruits because of the fact that it's the U no matter how bad or how good they are. Although I think Miami will be pretty good next year. Um, it's the U um, and um, people want to see it. Recruits want to see it. So, um, so I, I'm not saying it's that much worse of the Duke game. I just feel like the Duke game, you can kind of add an extra mystique to it, to the recruits and really kind of make a, a, a really impassioned speech after a victory over the blue devils and do that in the locker room with some recruits hanging around. I agree with um, Don on his points about Miami. I had them as my number two, um, as uh, you know, I, I just think that that game also has a lot of history at UNC um, and North Carolina has done pretty well uh, in, at home against Miami over the years, as odd as that is. Um, you know, they have pulled off some really nice games there and, and delivered in 2015 an epic beatdown of Miami uh, in Keenan Stadium. So uh, there's some history to that game. I think uh, now you're kind of moving into contender care, uh, territory. You know, if North Carolina truly wants to be a contender in the uh, Coastal Division, one of the teams they're going to have to beat is Miami. And so, but for just simple recruiting purposes, as Don said, you know, there, there's going to be a more of a cachet, uh, to, you know, Miami's not going to bring many fans, but, uh, still, I think that'll be a hot ticket in Chapel Hill comes pretty early in the season. Uh, what are we talking about? Like the second or third game here, third game. Um, and so the second game. So, um, you know, even regardless of the outcome in Charlotte, there'll still be a tremendous amount of excitement surrounding, um, you know, the UNC football program. Um, you know, no doubt that, you know, people are season ticket shoulders, holders aren't going to, you know, try to sell their tickets or, you know, toss them in the trash can or whatever they do to them when they don't show up. They're going to be there for that Miami game. Uh, the, the stadium should be rocking. 
Um, and you know, what would be nice would to see them make that a night game. And if they make, uh, Miami a night game, um, I, I might consider making that, you, you know, on a par really with, uh, whoever's y'all's number one pick is I'll let y'all go next. I've, I've picked my number two, so have at it. Well, I need to give my number two, and I'll be quick because it was Miami, same as you, Buck. And for basically, my thought process was it's the first home game. And I think that Mac Brown is going to really, really hit the media hard to try to make this one well attended. I think you're going to see a lot of efforts by the university to get a big crowd for that game. But let me propose this one to you guys is how much better would that Miami game be if you could just swap that with the App State game, because Miami, if they were in the four spot, if Carolina could be 3-0, and Miami potentially 3-0, then I think, Buck, you might see that shifted to a night game, as is, I don't know, if both teams are only 1-0, I think that that's probably destined for like a 12-30, 3-30 kickoff. But if I could change the, the schedule around, I would love to make Miami the fourth game and make App State the the opening kickoff what's y'all's thoughts on that well don don is uh refusing to answer uh john's question you know um the the my first thought about it is we we don't have any control over that (laughs) would it make a difference conceivably but uh it's such a hypothetical um you know it probably could move that past that pretty quick all right. Well, I was just trying to start a conversation, but I guess I got to be better. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't. It's not that I'm ignoring John. I just didn't have any thoughts on it. But I did want to point out that I thought that John made a really good point about being about the Miami game being the first uh, the home opener of the second uh, reign of um, Mac Brown. And, and actually, if I had to redo my list again, that would probably bump Miami up pretty high uh, because of that, you know, um, but. I think we just it's pretty simple what our number one is. Everybody's number one is is Clemson. So um is it just because the national champions are coming to town? Or is there any other reason why that you guys had Clemson number one? Well, yeah, I'll jump in and uh thank you, Don, for being so kind to John, throwing him a bone on that uh uh question that he asked, which was I'll do what know, I can. I do what yeah, I can. You, he, he want, threw you a bone, John. So, you know, we can move I, on. I don't want the pity answers. I'm just going to come up with better <laughs> stuff in the future. It's okay. It's okay. Learning experience. Right. So, anyway, obviously the number one team in the nation coming in is huge. You you don't get many of those games. Uh, historically, I'd have to go back and look. There's just not that been, been that many occasions where a number one team has come into Keenan Stadium. Um, so, yes, for that reason. The the second reason is that um, not only is, is um, you know Clemson going to be ranked number one. There's history between these two programs, and um, you know the, they're going to travel. The Clemson fans, no doubt, are going to invade Keenan Stadium. It'll be a packed house. Um, it'll be a hot ticket, you know, for UNC fans. Uh, there'll be a uh, good amount of. Uh, hype that week my my only fear about the clemson game is that the elf um is just going to 
destroy North Carolina's defense. And, you know, it could get ugly. And, and that's going to happen to a lot of people that play Clemson this year. Uh, that kid is just so good. Watching him, you know, play in the national title game and the games leading up to that. Um, he, he's a special talent. You know, when he, whenever he goes, and they've got him for two more years for sure. When, so after he leaves, predictably, I, everybody would say after his uh, third season on the field, my guess is he's going to be the hands-down number one pick in the NFL draft. So that's another reason to go. You're, you're looking at uh, possibly a future uh, first-round draft pick and somebody that's going to have a pretty good career in the NFL. So there, there's a lot of things to hype about that game. I'm just uh, concerned that North Carolina can keep it, you know, it's somewhat competitive against those guys. Uh, but that that would be my only concern. Still, I had it at my number one, no doubt. But kind of leads me into my point, which is uh, in 2017, Lamar Jackson came to uh, North Carolina with, of course, Louisville um, as the the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. And there were a lot of recruits that wanted to come to the game just purely to have the chance to see Lamar Jackson. And I mean, I, it makes sense because these recruits are obviously fans to a degree, like most of us. So I think that Trevor Lawrence definitely would be an attraction for um, for recruits just to be able to say that they were able to see him play. The one thing that I will, um, I guess, disagree with Buck, which is something I try not to do very often, is I don't think if North Carolina loses and they lose badly to Clemson, I don't think it's that big of a deal because they're the national champions and North Carolina has won five games the past two years. So, you know, you kind of almost expect North Carolina to lose to Clemson. It's like if Buck and I got into a fist fight and Buck kicked my butt. I mean, everyone would be like, yeah, Buck was supposed to kick your butt. He's way tougher than you. So it's the same sort of concept. Uh, wow. Wow. Don balancing out the entire podcast, showing love to everybody. That's our boy. Good job, Don. <laughs> I try. I try hard. Well, I also had Clemson as my number one home game, and I'll keep it brief. Basically, it just comes down to this, that if Carolina is going to make a splash during Mac Brown's initial season, what better way than to pull off a crazy upset over Clemson? I think that the crowd is going to be amazing. As you guys already said, it's going to be a very hot ticket. And, you know, we shall see what happens with that one. But, you know, hypothetically, if Carolina has the perfect start to the season, Everyone expects Clemson to as well. I think that this could be flexed to possibly the primetime night game, or even if Carolina only has one loss. So you talk about your possible ESPN, maybe game day. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I think that if everything breaks the Tar Heels way, that will be the most exciting game of the season. And if the Carolina can pull it off, man, the sky is the limit from there. But let's go ahead and give our top five for next time. So everyone listening in uh, had a really good idea from our very own Buck Sanders. So I will give you the honors, Buck. What can the, the listeners give us for their top five for the next podcast? Well, uh, since we were on the subject of counseling, of scheduling, sorry, um, I thought it might be a good question that, you know, which non-conference team would you love to see 
come to North Carolina. And keep in mind, Notre Dame doesn't count because they're going to come one way or the other. And so it would have to be some team not named Notre Dame that is a uh, school that you would love to see play in Keenan Stadium. Could be somebody that's played there, you know, in the last 10 or 15 years or somebody that's never played there. But I, that's let's have our top five next week centered around which non-conference team would you like to see come to to Keenan Stadium in terms of creating the most excitement. All right, a very good option right there. I think it's an interesting question. Hopefully we get some good responses. Everyone send those to either myself, Don Callahan, or Buck Sanders on the message board via Twitter. I mean, the drill is pretty standard by now. Hopefully everyone knows it. But get those responses in. For now, let's go ahead, guys, and take a very quick commercial break when we get back. Let's have Don's thoughts on the big junior day event that took place over the weekend. Also talk about UNC's latest commitment, and we'll just see where where the conversation takes us from there. So thanks, everyone. We'll be right back after this. Let's take a moment to talk about our friends at Johnny T-Shirt. They are a very long-term supporter of Inside Carolina and the Inside Carolina podcast, and they are your place to go to for Carolina gear. Johnny T-Shirt has been a Franklin Street tradition for over 35 years, and they are one of the absolute iconic locations there on campus. They are locally and alumni-owned with a great staff that puts great value on customer service. It is really top-notch. When you go into Johnny T-Shirt, they make you feel like you are a part of the family. They are your place to go to for Carolina gear because it is their focus. They have a terrific selection of anything that you might want from memorabilia to jerseys to clothing and everything in between. And if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get your exclusive 10% off discount on all of your purchases. You can use that either in their Chapel Hill store or at johnnytshirt.com. That's johnnytshirt.com. So even if you live out of state, and you still need that Johnny T-shirt fix, you can go there to order anything that you need Carolina-related. So support Johnny T-shirt and support the Inside Carolina podcast. Visit their website, johnnytshirt.com, and visit their store when you're in town on game days. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Don Callahan and Buck Sanders talking to football recruiting. All right, guys, let's go ahead and transition now into last week's Elite Junior Day. And, you know, Don, let's go ahead and just start the, the conversation here. And I'm, I'm sorry to kind of put you on the spot here, man. But, you know, the message board was a little bit antsy that there was only one commit that came out of that weekend. Do you think that that is something that fans have a legitimate kind of, um, I don't want to say fear, but maybe like it, it's a little bit of a red flag that the Tar Heels did only get one commit out of everyone that was in Chapel Hill for the Duke basketball game? Yeah, I think they're just going a little overboard. I don't think there's any cause from, for concern whatsoever. I think that um, they might be a little spoiled already by what Mac Brown has done in such a short period of time. And you know, when you're dealing with kids of, um, you know, blue chip kids, basically, it's going to take in in, a, in most situations. It's going to take some time. These are kids who don't need to be rushed because they don't have to worry about their scholarships being pulled. These are kids who can go the distance all the way to signing day if they want to. I think the you know the importance is making progress with those kids, getting them on campus, and uh, just continuing to like I said make progress. And and while they only landed one commitment from the weekend, there was a lot of positivity that came out of the weekend you know we ran stories on monday on trenton simpson who 
came out and said North Carolina is uh, my leader, which is which is huge because he continues to add offers. He's, he's a guy that just was um, given his fourth star, a linebacker who has a, a very high ceiling. You know, similarly, um, Jacoby Cresswell, the quarterback who visited North Carolina, who actually has a UNC offer, uh, visited from um, from Arkansas. You know, he came out of the weekend to North Carolina was his leader and is in the process of planning a trip to come back for the spring game, which if you consider the distance he's coming from and the cost cost that is involved, uh, you know, that's, that's a pretty big um, statement on his and his parents' behalf to say that he's going to come back and, and obviously to say he, that North Carolina is his leader. You know, there's a bunch of other guys just said a lot of positive things about the weekend. You know, Jacoby Cohen, um, said that, and we ran a story on on him also this week. It was his first visit since Mac Brown was hired. He said a lot of positive things. Um, he says he wants to get back to spend a little bit more time with the coaches and and ask some more questions. So that's that's huge. You know, Desmond Evans. We ran a story on him where he he kind of uh, shed some light on on his situation, what's going on with 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 him. So I wouldn't get concerned too much with the fact that that guys didn't commit, especially when you're talking about four and five star guys who are being pulled in every direction possible by, you know, people around them, by college coaches from other schools and that sort of thing. Yeah. And just to follow up on that, uh, John, um, his point about the quality of player that visited Chapel Hill on junior day, uh, the junior elite day, they call it. Um, these were really elite guys and, Don will probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't remember a time. I'm sure there have been official visits where perhaps back in the Bush Davis days or whatever, where they had that many highly ranked guys showing up at one time. Um, But, you know, at least this is the biggest one that we can think of in a long time where there were so many elite guys there. And those guys this may be their, you know, only their first, second, third official visit, and they have five of them. You know, they would be, they wouldn't be elite players if they didn't take all their visits, keep an open mind, and then make their decision. Now, some may decide sooner than later in, in the process, but it's very typical for these guys. This is a time of year where they they have time available to, especially those that were on spring break or what have you. Uh, to visit college programs and, you know, take a look at what they have. It's, uh, you know, a big draw, the Duke game. I- I'm pretty sure that was a very um, great experience for a lot of them to, to view that sort of atmosphere um, in the Dean Dome. So, you know, I- I'm not shocked that, you know, some of these players, you know, had didn't come out of that weekend and say, oh, yeah, I'm I'm done now because – that's generally not how these guys approach the recruiting process. Yeah, the only negative that I felt like that came out of the weekend, which has really surprised me, was the John Young situation. And for those who don't know, he's a four-star offensive lineman out of Kentucky. Uh, he visited on Saturday, actually arrived on Friday, and then on Monday released the top six. And I was shocked that North Carolina wasn't one of the six. But other than that, I mean, it, it was so positive. Um, the majority of the top Players in the state attended the event, which is huge. A good bit of them uh, were able to attend the college game day, which uh, took place uh, Saturday morning. 
And then um, the majority of them actually were there you know, a few hours prior to the actual game to spend time with with the the other recruits and the and the coaches and and the coaches purposely unless there were it was a guy who was from out of state hadn't visited before like a Jacoby Cohen obviously he's in state but like um uh, Jacoby uh, uh, Chriswell and John Young if you were if you had visited North Carolina before then you basically just kind of just had had fun and played games and um ate food and it was very very a laid back situation where they wanted the recruits to be comfortable and just not talk about recruiting and not talk about football, just kind of just hang out and just have fun and kind of see the coaching staff and the support staffers in a different light. John, with the news that has come out, we've posted a bunch of news this week and we'll continue to post news from uh, this weekend next week. What were some of the things that stuck out to you? Well, I think the number one things that stuck out to me were the two that you mentioned where Simpson has named Carolina as his leader. I think that that is absolutely huge. I think he is a player that I really, really, really want the Tar Heels to land. So, I mean, by him coming out after he was just made a four-star, his recruitment's only going to go up from here. So the fact that he has named Carolina as his leader, that's massive right there. I think also just getting Desmond Evans on campus, interacting with the staff, interacting with the other players, interacting with the other commits, that to me is also just a huge, huge asset in his recruitment because his is one that is going to go the distance, I believe. I mean, he is a five-star kid. He absolutely needs to take all five official visits. I mean, I would love it if he just committed to Carolina immediately, but that's just realistically not going to happen. So with him, I think that Having him back, hearing the positives from his visit, that's huge. And then with Jacoby Criswell, you know, I don't want to give away too much, John, for everyone listening in. If you want to read the full story that talks about uh, where he falls on UNC's recruiting board, you can check that out on the Tar Pit Premium Message Board. Strongly encourage that. But needless to say, the fact that he has been so positive, that he's also come out and named Carolina as his leader, you know, it's just one of those things where obviously the, the fans are going to want to see commits. That's just, it, it's nature. It is what it is. And when it doesn't happen, you know, you see some people kind of get worried. And I think that leads me into my next kind of question for you here, Don, is, you know, we saw on social media, especially, you know, coaches like Brewster, he's been sending out a lot of very cryptic stuff like, hey, this day is going to be big or, oh man, we're about to have someone commit you know, he's been really throwing that out there and you see that get picked up. It gets retweeted. It gets commented on on the message board. And we've seen a couple uh, players now that have claimed that people have claimed. And, and again, this is not coming from their camp. It's not coming from inside Carolina, but you see it floated out there kind of in the ether that so-and-so is a silent commit. And we talked about it a little bit on a prior podcast you had a very, very salient uh, point that a post on the message board that you made. And I just wanted to, to get your thoughts here on the podcast. And I especially want to get Buck's thoughts on this as well. But Don, where do you come down on the whole silent commit thing? And what are your thoughts on the UNC coaches kind of putting it out there and really trying to rile up the fan base that, hey, some positive news is about to hit? Well, let me answer your last question first, because I think it's quicker and easier. Obviously, eventually, if someone keeps on saying stuff and it does nothing happens, I mean, it's, it's the bl- boy who cried wolf sort of 
sort of um, theory, you know? So if that's what whoever it is, whether it's Coach Brewster or whoever feels like they need to do to keep things going, then who am I to judge? Let them do that. But um, I know that if Brewster tweets out something right now and says something that would imply that there's a commitment, I, I, I every time that he does it and nothing happens, yeah, I'm I believe it less and less. And I would assume that that has the, the same effect on most fans. As far as the silent commitment, as we said in, I don't know, I guess it was a couple podcasts ago, I put the silent commitment in the same category as Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. And it's it's something that's really nice. It makes people feel good when you say that they have silent commitments. But in reality, most silent commitments just aren't silent commitments. And the reason that is, and I've been covering this for a very long time. I think it's, what, 15 years or so. And and a lot of the people who know, who have been around, they know, we, we know certain things that maybe we don't say out in public. Um, you know, we know about commitments that might be happening and all that. And the only time a silent commitment is truly a silent commitment is in a situation like Lamarian James, where he commits on Saturday and he decides, let me wait until I get home and not post it on a Saturday night where no one's paying attention and let me do it on Sunday. That to me is a silent commit. Or last year with Kamari Morales, you know, he committed at the freak show, but he wanted to wait to announce it publicly with his family around. That's a silent commit. But if you are a quote unquote silent commit and you say, okay, I'm not going to announce it until June. And in the meantime, I'm going to take a bunch of visits. You aren't committed to that school. And anybody who believes that, I don't know what to tell you. I feel like there's a lot of parallels with recruiting and dating. And I know you guys are probably rolling your eyes at me right now about this. But the way I look at it is like this. If you are dating some girl and you say, hey, do you want to be my Facebook official girlfriend? You know, no dating anyone else, that sort of thing. And she says, well, yes, I will be your exclusive girlfriend, but let's not announce it just yet. And in the meantime, I'm still going to go on a date with a bunch of guys. That girl is not your girlfriend, no matter what she says. And it's the same sort of concept. If they're still visiting other schools, they're not really committed, especially if they don't want anybody else to know that they're they're committed to you. Um, but like I said, you know, there are some situations, but they're, you know, this whole idea that they're signing commits and this and that, and, you know, they're going to wait until June or, or whenever. I, I just think it's, I just think it's bogus. Yeah. Uh, one, one thought I had while Don was talking and he's not the first person to use the dating or getting a gauge scenario. I think Ken Browning used to do that all the time, but here's the thing in this day and age, what's the point anymore i mean you can verbal to six different teams uh during this year and and until you know the first wednesday in february comes along you're not really committed to any of them i mean sure yes you know most of the guys that verbally commit to a school wind up signing with that school but you know in, in this day and age if if you you really wanted to, you could, and we have people on the team now, Emory Simmons for one of them, um, that committed to three different teams during his recruitment. So even if you, you know, give a verbal commitment to a school uh, in, in this day and age, 
it's not, you know, you're not putting down a down payment on a car, you know, it, uh, you're, you know, sort of saying, yeah, this is where I'd like to go. It should mean more than that. In most cases it does, but that to me seems like it would make the idea of a silent commitment, even less likely. Um, because if, if you, really want to commit to that school and you have any remaining doubts, you could go ahead and commit and then, you know, continue to look around if you want. So, um, I, you know, I, I just don't think in this day and age, I think the different layers that we put on this in terms of the level of a recruit's interest, um, in, um, you know, actually putting his name on a national letter of intent, you know, in December or February, the more layers we add to that, the more, um, I think uncertain we become of, you know, the entire process. Buck, let me get your thoughts real quick on where do you stand on the coaches kind of putting it out there on social media and running kind of that campaign to, you know, kind of keep the momentum going as they say, because and I'm sure back in the day, the, before the social media, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there were coaches that had a reputation for leaking stuff out to maybe like the Rams club and stuff like that. Now it's just much more easier for the common fan to access that with the direct interaction between coaches and a fan base. Where do you come on, on the coaches kind of putting that out there? Like for example, what, what Brewster has been doing kind of lately here. Well, until uh, Tim Brewster came back to Chapel Hill, obviously I didn't follow him on Twitter. You know what he was doing when he was, you know, with Jimbo or, you know, well, actually Jimbo in both cases at Florida State and Texas A&M, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't have been somebody that I would, uh, you know, add to my Twitter feed or what have you. So I, I don't really know what his MO is. You know, maybe he's done this everywhere he's been. Maybe this is just his quirk of his personality, that this is how he operates. So uh, I didn't, you know, follow him back you know, before he became a UNC coach, actually, I kind of, you know, I, I do follow Twitter. I do look at it multiple times during the day, but it, when I see stuff like that, it doesn't leap out to me as, um, you know, the comparative being Larry Fedora when, when there was a, a verbal commitment that hadn't been released to the public yet. In many cases, he would tweet out heel. Yeah. Well, when he said that, you you knew kind of, you know, within, you know, 60, 75, 80, 90% range, somewhere in there, that it's very likely they had gotten a commit. So I, I think probably as, as time goes on and people get more used to um, the Twitter habits of, you know, assistant coaches and whatnot, this will become less of an issue. I don't have a, a big, you know, I, I don't feel – like I've been betrayed because, you know, he's tweeted out like, oh, this is going to be a great day. Who knows what he's really meaning. So, you know, I I don't see it as a big deal. Other people would probably disagree with that, but that's just me. Yeah, I don't don't see it as a huge deal. And, you know, like I said before, a guy who's had a lot of success recruiting, um, I have a hard time kind of, uh, I guess, having a big – having big issues with – what he's doing. Um, and, and you kind of have to follow him because there is definitely a lot of subtweeting and there has to be subtweeting because he can't say guys 
flat out. You know, after North Carolina opened up the uh, the spring uh, practice with its first practice, and um, Mitchell Mays and Des Evans visited. You know, by coincidence, quote unquote, uh, Brewster tweeted out. I think it was like the next day or something like that. Um, something along the lines of, I had my two favorite guys on campus this past weekend, you know, which clearly was pointing to those guys and, you know, that sort of thing. I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll have to see. Cause like, like Buck, I didn't follow him too much, uh, especially when he was at Texas A&M, um, a little bit when he was at Florida state because it's an ACC school. But the one thing I'll throw out there, just, um, Mac Brown does similar to what Fedora was doing. Only Fedora was pretty most of the time, I'd say probably, I don't know, 95% of the time, Fedora was right on. As soon as it happened, he would tweet it out. Very rarely, maybe during the freak show, it would take him a little bit longer. Um, but, uh, you know, Mac Brown, sometimes he tweets it right when it happens. Sometimes he tweets it, you know, like like when um, Lamarian James committed. I think he tweeted it later on in the day um, and, and made people curious if there was a second commitment when that was really the only one he sent out. And all it is is some fire signs or f- fire emojis and uh, some Rams emojis. I don't know if there's a certain number because I think one time there was six, another time it was four. I don't know. So so he does something similar for those who um, are big on, on Twitter. All right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. We've been going for quite a little while now. And Don, going to turn it over to you with a conversation about LaMarion James, UNC's commit, who did go ahead and pledge to the Tar Heels from the Elite Junior Day. Just give us your rundown on what you've seen of James and then also what you are going to be doing to try to swing by his high school up there in Virginia on your road trip. All right, well, I'll make this quick because before we started the podcast, Buck was hangry. I'm starting to get hangry myself, so uh, I'm going to make this as quick as possible. With me going by his school, I'm going to do a video interview with uh, Lamarian. I, I want to kind of, um, you know, obviously he's been covered a bunch these past, uh, this past week because he committed, broke down the commitment. So we're, we're going to try to go beyond that and um, try to learn a little bit more about Lamarian that hasn't already been covered. I'll also spend some time with his coach and and you know I feel like high school coaches are the, are the best ones when it comes to describing and explaining what type of player that they're sending off to North Carolina. So that's where we're getting there as far as you know the type of player that North Carolina is getting from what I have seen on film. I mean he's just a playmaker in in every sense of the word. You know, he's a guy who you know for his high school team he plays every skill position imaginable. And every time he touches the ball, he's a threat to score. I mean, he's just, he's so elusive, has um, very good vision on the college level. If you just look at his athleticism, I mean, he's a guy who I, he could play offense for, for, for sure. Uh, but I think his best position is cornerback. Um, and I think also um, you have to get him in the, involved in the return game because he's just such a, such a threat to score whenever he touches the ball. And I, one interesting thing that came out of, the post-commitment interview, North Carolina finally told him, hey, we see you as a cornerback. And I asked him if, how, what he thought about that. And he said, you know, it's fine. I just have to get interceptions so I can get the ball in my hands and so I can score. And I thought that was a great mentality to have. I mean, yeah, that's basically exactly what you want out of your cornerbacks. And it will be very interesting to see how he develops under Dre Bly. But I think I'm ready to go ahead and wrap this one up. Buck, did you have anything else or any other questions for Don? 
Uh, no, my, my dinner bell is ringing. <laughs> All right. Well, I think then we'll go and call this one to an end. Don, thanks a lot. and hope that you enjoyed up there in Virginia. Buck, enjoy the beach. And we'll talk again soon, guys. Sounds enjoy good. it as always, guys. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.